0: be involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. <laughs> this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for, what is it, Tuesday, September 19, 2023. Where have I been? Maritime training. So as everyone here knows, we do OSHA outreach training in all four disciplines. That is disaster response worker, construction, general industry, and maritime. So I got a call last week from a client, or actually two weeks ago, a new client, uh, that was a listener in of this show. And uh, she said, Hey, look, uh, we'd like to uh, have you in and do some maritime training in marine terminals. And we've been there for the last two days, as everyone knows, it's a 10-hour class this was. So for a 10-hour course, you need two days worth of... uh, It's gonna take you two days, no matter what. That's where we were. And that, and dealing with the UN week, in New York City. It's been a very unpleasant situation with traffic for the last two days and weather. So I could not make it on. So that's where I've been. Uh, if you want to uh, get me, if you don't get enough of Safety Wars here, you can always hire me to do your training classes to manage your projects at eight four five two six nine five seven seven two 269 5772 or gym at safetywars.com. You too, you too, could have. Jim pulls at your facility all the time. All Jim pulls all the time. Are you ready for that? I know, I know, I know. Hey, uh, Jim, you can't be serious. Jim, you can't be serious. Good to be back. This past weekend, I attended a wedding in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, it was a lovely wedding. Uh, one of uh, my friends... He passed away many, uh, about six years ago now. I can't believe it's uh, six years in a workplace accident. He uh, his widow got remarried this weekend. It was a wonderful, wonderful uh, ceremony, wonderful party, wonderful reception, wonderful happy hour, wonderful on all, uh, by all accounts. So uh, what are we talking about tonight? We're going to be talking about Personal protective equipment here. And what you may need in a disaster. So I have, just as a reminder, we have props here and everything else. So just as a reminder, we're going to talk about this. Hierarchy of controls. So uh, as we know, right, with any of this stuff, big idea we want to put forward here is don't become part of a problem. That's what all this disaster preparation is. There is already problems out there. Don't become make this problem a bigger problem. Whatever you're dealing with as far as uh, disasters. Hold on one second here. I have to do something. I'm going to go to a commercial real quick here my daddy That's my daddy Have you listened or watched uh the safety war show It does stream live on on the radio and um on the streamer emers that we have So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bolsle and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh safety wars I would I would strongly encourage you to um to take a view or take a listen um whichever option is available for you and take a listen to what the hell he has going on uh it's definitely it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in Uh, Sorry about that. It is allergy season uh, here in the Northeast uh, of the United States and, uh, you know, you got the usual allergy symptoms I had to resolve. Anyway, so let's let's try this again. We're going to share here. Big idea. Don't become part of the problem. Don't make your problem worse. And when you're dealing with PPE, it could be a physical or it could be a chemical hazard, but hazardous materials, what have you. Remember, you have four. Uh, remember three things. Don't get it in you. How can it get in you? Four routes of exposure: inhalation, injection, contact, or ingestion. Don't get it on you, right? Meaning, don't get it on your skin at all. Number three: don't bring it home. Don't expose others. And this is when we're working disaster uh, on disaster sites. I like to reference the uh, Jens-Rasmussen, right? With the skills mode, the rules mode, the lack of knowledge mode. That's and with normal work in a uh, factory, even a construction site, you could get into this stuff here. But you'll never, and on a disaster site, generally, skills mode doesn't exist. So the best you can hope for is you're going to be in the rules mode and in the lack of knowledge mode for that. And so the best you can hope for is rules mode. So that's why PPE is very important. You're not going to be able to necessarily have the hierarchy of controls. You're not going to be able to go out there and say, well, we're going to use the hierarchy of controls on this. That's not going to happen. So right off the bat, you're going down. Uh, Elimination usually is impossible. Might be, right, if you plan things out. You're not going to be able to plan out the work. Substitution, engineering controls, maybe, uh, right? But you're going to have a reliance on PPE all the time. And remember, we talked about left of the bang and right of the bang on uh, previous shows. On the left of the bang, it's all in the prep. Then you have the bang, the incident, then right of the bang. That's where all your training takes uh, place and uh, no applying that training. And you might have to do on-scene training but, uh, and reacting. You always want to be in the left. And we also have the disaster management cycle where you, know, you have disaster, response, recovery, mitigation, and preparation. And you're always somewhere at. Pre- mitigation and preparation eventually you're gonna get there even if uh, the issue you apply the issue attention cycle to that where people think that things are resolved and then no uh, well and then something else happens. Uh, or they get surprised that things aren't resolved when they thought they were resolved because news isn't covering it anymore. So, for example, the Hawaii situation with the fires, a lot of people think that that's been resolved, everything's been built up, because they haven't talked about it out here on the East Coast in the last four days. And that's what we're trying to do here. So, uh, in the workplace, normal job site, construction, let's say. Something like 30% of all injuries are to the hands. All right. And what, so I would think that gloves are a major part of that whole thing. And I forgot my leather gloves upstairs. Oh no. So this is what we're going to do. So, in years gone by here, what did we have? What was the assumption? All right? So, someone told you to get, we're going to start with hand protection. Someone told you, go out there and get, put on a pair of gloves out there. You put on a pair of, and this is all perfect. So, you had your leather gloves, your Cut-resistant gloves. I'm guilty of this before I got educated. Jim, why do you cut-resistant gloves? Everyone would get these, cu- these gloves. and say, well, those are cut-resistant. I'm not poo-pooing the leather gloves, and usually they're good all-around gloves. So when you're dealing with can protection, what kind of protection are they going to give you for cuts? A little bit, obviously, but they're not rated. So sometime in the mid-2000s, tw- at least in my world, Everyone started talking about cut-resistant gloves, cut-resistant gloves. They have to have a certain rating on them, and things of that nature. And glove manufacturers, among other manufacturers, started to uh, started to uh, develop standards, right? So ANSI started to develop standards for uh, protective gloves. Now you're going to say, "Well, what's the issue here? What? What's the issue? You know, what's the big deal? Blah 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 blah. For this, why do you mention this? And there's always a question as far as what cut-resistant gloves are, what they are, and everything else. So if I can pull this up, right? That, that's what we use all the time, and that's not really no. In a disaster situation, that may be the best that you have leather work gloves. So they're good for a lot of different things. But what I do now, I've gotten rid of all of the leather work gloves in my house. I've gotten rid of pretty much all the leather work gloves in the work that I control. And I've cut level uh, three-or gloves. What exactly does that mean? We have the ANSI chart here for cut-resistant gloves. And This, and essentially, this is what it comes down to. If you look on your screen, uh, and this is, I think this has to be updated. This is as of 2016, but you have the old cut-level gloves, and you had zero. And that's the weight in grams needed to cut through the material of the gloves. So uh, with a cut-level rating of zero, which has been eliminated since 2016, People, you know, you put 200 grams. We all know what a gram is. A gram is like two pistachios with the shells on. And they put the glove in a vise. They go back and forth. And lo and behold, what happens is the. uh, What happens is it takes 200 grams on top of that uh, uh, razor blade that goes back and forth real quick. Uh, it, uh, it essentially takes 200 grams for that. So you have uh, zero, but that is basically what the cut uh, rating was on those old-fashioned leather gloves that we just sat up here. Now, under the new ratings, you have A1 through A9. And usually what I recommend in my uh, practice to recommend an A4 or A5 glove that's right here in the middle here Right, A4 or A5, uh, and that would be for high cut or extreme cut because things have gotten a lot better manufactured, and we're talking about knit gloves. So if I can't, and then it goes up from there. So, for example, uh, A6, A7, A8, A8 or A9, they start to have other things, the threads made out of different things. So, for example, there are, are like six or seven different types of yarn. Uh, if you want to know all of them, give me a call because what happens is I'm not, no, that's all trademarked and I'm not even sure what the legalities are me of endorsing so many different products out there. But Kevlar was one, for example, but there are like five or six other different types of yarn. And what we found out was, uh, with all this stuff, cut resistance has uh, of, we're talking knitted gloves, are influenced by four different properties. So this here is a knit glove with a cut rating of two. So if you look here, you have to have, you know, so a cut resistance is determined by four different things. One of them being, I am getting, <coughs> wicked feedback here Uh, on here and I don't know where where it's coming from necessarily so hold on we're gonna do that that should clear it up all different feedback coming through my headphones now so we have uh, four different things strength of the yarn all right, so this is a yarn uh, strong Hardness, right? I mean, is that when a knife, when something else goes over it, right? right? Does it dull the knife? Then you have necessity. If you notice on any one of these knit gloves, it's slick. You have a certain lubricant and you have what is called a rolling action. I Meaning if something hits your to cut it, it's going to bunch. So those are the four basic things that we're looking for. And cut resistant gloves, the knitted gloves. Now, one of the things that confuses a lot of people here is this with gloves, right? This is a glove that's from T Rex, right? By Maggid. The gloves here, they think, well, this here, the PVC coming on here, I believe it is PVC, that prevents, uh, that prevent that's cut resistance. Well, maybe it adds a little What we're really worried about is swimming, right? And with this pair of gloves, you also have uh, uh, impact protection from the back of the hands, protecting the back of the hands. Uh, you also have like a wrist uh, thing on here, you know, uh, a wrist guard, hold the glove on, things of that nature. So that is a glove cut-resistant glove. Now, if you go back to your old-fashioned leather glove that we had the picture of here, am I saying get rid of that leather glove? You think I'm saying that, get rid of the leather glove? No, we're not saying anything about getting rid of the leather glove. Because what happens? You have to assess what your situation are. If you go and try to swing an axe, for example, or a pick, or a shovel, or anything like that, With this kind of glove with a grip on it, guess what? You're going to have yourself a devil of a time trying to go and shovel something. Same thing with an axe. You try swinging an axe or a pick with that kind of glove, you're not going to be very successful. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to get aggravated with that. So again, an assessment done on that. So uh, I uh, recommend always cut level three or four with those gloves. Going back to our, I uh, assembled this PPE guide over the course of many, many, many years. So you can also have abrasion resistance with uh, gloves. That's the abrasion thing where what kind of abrasiveness does that? Have? You have a rating on that. And all of this stuff has to be. Thought about it ahead of time. What are your likely hazards? What are you going to do? Do I want to be prepared for everything? Can I get a good all-around glove? So what I'm looking at usually since hands right? and it's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, hurt your hands in a disaster. They get dirty. You may not have access to medical medical care. You may not have access to first aid. You use up your first aid. Everything and above. And then we also have our four different levels of response, where you have uh, number what i call a type one right which is zero to 24 hour emergency then type two 24 to 72 or 96 hours which is what the government tells you you should be at a minimum be fair for type three from 96 hours to one month and then after one month you're dealing with number four uh type four and you're dealing with primitive living Hopefully we never get to that situation because that's a darn near impossible situation for a normal person to prepare for. So we're talking short-term emergencies here. Maybe type 1 or 2 up to 96 hours uh, or maybe a couple of weeks into this. So so the question is, what are your likely hazards? So I'm looking at, you're going to have a surgical glove for... First aid, see first aid things maybe, or incidental contact with hazardous materials. This one in particular is a nitrile, surg- nitrile surgical gloves. Surgical gloves come in nitrile, uh, PVA or PVC or vinyl or something like that. Surgical, and la- the traditional latex. You want to avoid latex in my experience because. It doesn't hold up well to a lot of things that you may have to deal with in a disaster like gasoline or oil. All right? right, first say, some blood worn pathogens, situations like that. Then you have a... Uh, so, you go in there and you say, well, chemical gloves are kind of hard to determine what you're going to need. Same thing with suits and things of that nature. So, you're going to need a couple of different kinds of gloves. My right, surgical gloves, leather gloves. I would have cut-resistant gloves, at a minimum, and also winter gloves. And any one of those could be winter glove type things. Now you're going to say, now, what about chemical resistance? I put together a small chemical resistance thing. This is from one of my tra- some of my training materials. And these are just some of the things. You have butyl uh, gloves, neoprene gloves, nitrile gloves, latex gloves, PVC gloves, right? neoprene, all this stuff in here. And they are rated for different things. Now the question is, how do you determine what they're rated for? This is from a very common... Uh, from a glove that's sold at uh a very popular home improvement place and on here it has all of the chemicals that they're willing to advertise at least and what the uh, uh what it's good for so for example the this for a pvc glove and you have well for acetone uh for pvc it's a poor thing right Nitrile is also poor, Uh, neoprene is also poor, and latex is uh, fair, right? So P is poor, F is fair, a little bit above. You have to consider how much you're going to be exposed to. So you have to think about assessment and everything else. However, when you look on here for uh, oil, our PVC glove is great, the nitrile glove is great, the neoprene glove is great. And the latex is poor, so you put oil on latex, you're gonna have a problem. And consequently, uh, for birth control, right, latex condoms, they tell you don't put some type of oil-based lubricant on there because it'll destroy the condom. And then, you know, you become a parent. I must put that in there. We gotta make this a little bit exciting, but as we know. Uh, As everybody likes to point out, and everybody knows, cells. All right. Now, here comes the other thing with this. Let's say that you're going to have multiple hazards. I have a cut hazard, and I have a a chemical hazard. What could you do? Well, it is possible to go out there, and what do you do? you could have two kinds of gloves on. So here we have a nitrile glove, right? Looks like a dish glove, but it's nitrile. And you can also have a cut-resistant glove. You could double them up. Now, you're also going to say, well, what about on a hazmat site? Don't you normally wear two pairs of gloves? The answer is yes. So the most common, since most here in New Jersey, most of the cleanups out here are pretty much oil or some type of oil derivative or oil this or oil that, usually it's nitrile gloves. So you would have on two pairs of gloves. We're not going to talk about suits today because we have to do that in a much bigger area with the suits. All right. You would have a uh, outer glove and you also have an inner glove. And the outer glove and the inner glove, depending on your situation, is going to be a duct tape or chem tape. Usually duct tape, but uh, that that's depending for incidental things. Uh, and duct tape, as long as it's compatible, you could use that. But more commonly, chem tape is used for that. And uh, again, that's advanced preparation for all this stuff. And we cover all this stuff in our disaster uh, response worker class, the outreach class, the seven and a half and the 15-hour class for that. This is another kind of glove, right, where you have a combination, leather glove on the outside, cut-resistant glove on the inside, a Kevlar lining on that. And you just go through here. So, for example, if I'm dealing with oils, I'm going to have a nitrile glove. Uh, And you have the catch-all glove, and that is Silver Shield. So, you look at this, it looks like a plastic bag, and there is... An expiration date on these so these have chemical resistance usually offers the highest level of overall chemical resistance but no cut resistance and it's very not so dexterous so normally this is worn with as an inner glove and then you put some type of an appropriate outer glove out there and by the way I'm dating myself right what does not work is this and this is not a joke Year. right you because ah Jim you're always joking they're inappropriate jokes something well this is not a joke if you put on a surgical glove right let's get the surgical glove on all right we have the surgical glove if you put that surgical glove on and then let's say that you have a pair of leather gloves and often they'll make use leather gloves more than one time you're not really supposed to and you take that rubber glove and you put it in the surgical glove, uh, in a regular work glove, guess what's going to happen, guys? And you could Google this if you're not young enough, uh, if you're uh, very young. The glove doesn't fit, all right? So, and if it's latex inner glove and you try to put it on another in another glove, it ain't going to fit. So you need to get a bigger glove on that. And if you know what I'm talking about, you're going to get annoyed. Probably. Again, we ha- have here. This is a regular work glove, cotton work glove, with a gauntlet on it, right? Gauntlet, and we it's dipped in PVC. And usually, for years, this is what we use on hazmat sites because you, uh, we were able to, with incidental exposures, we were able to go out and uh, we were able to go and uh, uh, you know decontaminate them. Now, and of course leave them in the work area for work again and we had inner gloves and everything else. Now let's talk about head protection. Now you're going to say, well Jim, right? what, what about head protection? So there are several different types of hard hats. Right now we have right the traditional hard hat here. Right, so hard hats could either be, and yes, these are Bluetooth earmuffs for the hard hat. Type one hard hat rated for the top low, Type two for the side flow. And again, all of this stuff is rated up to a a extent, and we're going to talk about that with foot protection here in a minute. So, again, head different hard hat. What kind of hard hat should I have out there? And again, remember, you're going to be wearing PPE a little bit more uh, often uh, you know, you're going to make sure you want to wear ppe especially in the disaster site situation limited medical care uh, maybe you're preparing your home for disaster preparation right you don't want to become part of the problem wearing a hard hat so that's basically it now can you wear the hard hat backwards and the answer is yes you can wear a hard hat backwards if it's designed to be worn backwards So, for example, right here, and let's see if we can zoom in a little bit more, we have a circular arrow design. So, when it's in a circular arrow, now you can wear it backwards as long as you usually switch the inner suspension. The suspension has got to be inspected and everything else on the inside periodically. Again, this is not a full-blown course, but this is to give you an idea of what you're going to need. Now, the last... Four of the last six projects. I don't know it's dirty here, but hey, I, you know, I actually work in the field. All right. We've had to go to this type of hard hat. Now, it says, uh, they, they've called them multiple things over there. It's climbing hard hats or anything else. Because there's been some evidence that most of the falls out there, when people fall, which is one of the most common fatality injuries in the uh, industry, in the construction industry, and all across lot basically general industry, something like 15%, right? Have to do with blows to the head when you fall. And what happens when you have a hard hat without a chin strap? Guess what? It falls off, you hit your head. So a lot of companies are going to this, and this is the requirement, where you have a helmet style and you, uh, like this, and this is a type 1 helmet. And what You are able to, is you're able to attach it to your chin. And this way it doesn't fall off. The thing that that's good for is if you are, let's say, on a boat. Perfect thing. I got into big trouble one time because my hard hat came off on a boat. Right? Or, no, it was a dock. But, you know, and then while you're walking around without a hard hat. Yeah, because it blew off. But that's context. Uh, It's kind of hard for some people to understand context. Moving on, we talked about gloves. Now let's talk about boots. So you all heard the commercial. When your feet are okay, you're okay all over. When your feet are warm, you're warm all over and everything else. Now in a disaster situation, and I might call them steel toe boots. I know, they're safety trees. All right, so again, diabetes, it's go. Is one of those up and coming. It's been with us forever, but it's one of those things where in the next thirty years, forty years, something like that. I know you can hear different numbers from different agencies. Twenty percent of the population are going to have diabetes, which means you're going to have some type of uh, neuropathy in your feet. If not at the beginning of the disease, towards the ongoing maintenance of the disease, ongoing going on and on and on and on. So, what? Uh, We have, and let me get this side by side, what we have here is safety-toed shoes. Now, they have a rating on them, and it is the ASTM 2413-18 is the rating on these. It used to be called the old uh, Z49, but they've updated it with ASTM, and that's what we use, and the OSHA does not say give out standards for boots or for gloves. They refer to an ANSI standard or ASTM standard, NFPA standard for things like that because those are updated periodically. So we have here this. Now, should, now what are they good for? Generally speaking, 50 pounds, about three foot up. In the air, roughly, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less. I believe the number is something like 1,500 joules of energy they have to absorb. And that is to the top. Now, I've heard various uh, versions of this story. No, that that reading is on the tongue. Jim, I've had my mother's grandfather's uncle was working in a logging camp in the Pacific Northwest in the 1920s, during the great, uh, right, during the happy 1920s, on Skid Row, uh, where my wife is tonight in Portland, right? And there was a uh, tree that fell, and it's usually from six to ten stories. And it fell. And when it fell... It hit his foot, and if it weren't for that steel-toe boot, he would still have his toes. Other variations are that he worked in the shipyard, they were moving cargo, they were doing this, doing that. Now, you could go back to Mythbusters, and our local guy on there, Adam Savage, uh, there are uh, Mythbusters, and Jamie Bernardin, I think his name was, and they did a whole thing debunking this. What happens is, the load, if something like that were to happen, it would be hitting behind the steel toe or the safety toe. Yes, I know they're composite. Well, guess what? In that case, what would you need is a metatarsal guard on that, with that. Number one, but more importantly, keep your feet out of the line of fire. Would even be a better solution to that. And PPE being the last solution. So this is what I recommend, is that sort of thing. Glasses. Jim. And, you know, I have a whole guide here. No, uh, steel toe and safety toe shoes are a, no, that's a two-hour long class in itself. But you do have puncture-resistant shoes, chemical protective shoes. Again, chemical protective, you can find out. Where else do you find chemical protective information on PPE? You find it out from the manufacturers on their websites, usually. You can ask for a cut sheet. So for safety glasses, now same deal. We have safety glasses. Should I get them or not? I say yes. And if you can, you get the kind with the gasketed thing, dust uh, goggles with that. I found out in the oil industry that pretty much eye injuries disappear of all types if you require the use of uh, dust uh, with a gasketed eyewear. I have other people saying they absolutely hate it. The other thing, uh, face shields. Hmm. Do you have to wear goggles under a face shield or safety glasses? The act- answer is yes. That's the NC standard, and uh, you know you gotta wear it. you gotta wear them underneath it because a face shield is not impact resistant. Uh, with that, again, this is a general overview. With that, and if you look here, right. With the shades, uh, shade colors, and uses. So safety glasses have different shades and uses. They're all polycarbonate, and they all protect against UV light up to a point uh, with that, uh, I'm told. This is what I'm told. So if someone goes out there with safety glasses and says, "Oh, well, we're gonna do uh, safety glasses," uh, blah blah blah, we're gonna wear regular sunglasses and they're UV protect. Well, guess they're All polycarbonate, even the clear ones, are you give you UV protection. it's a sales gimmick. But and you have different colors that are to get good for different things. And uh, on shady days, I usually like the amber ones. But what's the most important thing? Safety glasses, Z87 approved. Do they make prescription safety glasses that are Z87 approved? The answer is yes uh, for that. So get the appropriate pair. Get one with a gasket around or dust goggles. Those seem to be the most effective. And the other thing is, um, you know, their Z87 approved with that uh if they're not z87 or whom they're not safety glasses there's a one manufacturer out there uh i'm not going to mention them that for years everybody said well they give more protection than Nancy z 87 glasses well guess what the uh we have a thing called the internet and there was a alert put out by their uh people that said look uh safety glasses uh ours are better however they still have to be Z87 approved. We don't approve ours for use in the workplace. And I used to have to carry that around. Laminated. Noise reduction ratings. Earplugs. Do I need... Where do they go? Earplugs. All right. Again, if you can't... Not everybody is going to have the equipment or the app on the phone to do that. And you may be safe, not be able to do that. If you're dealing with anything, any type of situation... Where you have to raise your voice, right, for uh, uh, to hear the person next to you, where your hearing protection. That's something you want to deal with. All right. We talked about air purifying respirators last time, from Time and Memorial. Again, this is some of my training materials that I use, and we'll go over suits at another time. But reflective clothing. What do we have? We're going to talk about that next time. And protective suits. This was a abbreviated program. We're looking at like 38 minutes on here. Uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, out here outside of safety wars. Uh, if I can only come on for 35 minutes, that's all I can come on for is 35 minutes. And I wanted to thank everybody for bearing with us with our everything going on. Next week, uh, I'm plan on being. With Todd Conklin, Jay Allen, and all the other people from Safety FM down in Orlando. Check it out on our website. I believe you could make reservations this week. And uh, down in Orlando, go to safetyfm.com. So, for Safety Wars, this is Jim Puzzle, and We got a big commotion going on in the background here. And... Uh, Do-do-do... Here we go. We'll see you back here tomorrow, uh, God willing.